Uh, let me just tell you, welcome. And we've been in this series called Common People, Uncommon God. And we've been looking at the life of Simon Peter, and we've been able to take his life and begin applying his life to our life. And so some of the things, if you're like me, that has gravitated us to Simon Peter was this. He was just a real person. I mean, he was transparent. He was real. Uh, he had a lot of those what was I thinking moments, and we've talked about a lot of those. We had a lot of times when he struggled, and, and uh, he went through difficult times. There were times that he had great faith, and then there's times he had great doubt. There are times he struggled with fear, and there's times he struggled with overconfidence. And so we looked at a lot of his what was I thinking moments. And so even though we together have watched Simon Peter stumble, and we watched him struggle, and we've watched him ask for forgiveness, and all this other stuff, but unfortunately today, we're going to watch him fall. And if we had an opportunity to where we could sit down with Simon Peter and, and just interview him and ask him, hey, let it, just tell us, what is the greatest regret of your life? It'd be this night that we're going to look at. When Simon Peter did something that he said that he would never do. And Simon Peter in a worship service made all kinds of commitments and all kinds of, of statements. But in actuality, Simon Peter did something that he said he would never do. Maybe that might describe your greatest regret. Let me ask you, what, what is your greatest regret in, in your life? If you could go back and relive one moment, relive one night, maybe your greatest regret was a lot like Simon Peter and it came out of a word, it came out of a, a night. So maybe it was a decision, maybe it was an action, maybe it was a word. Maybe it was deeper than, maybe it was longer than that. Maybe, maybe you would say my greatest regret would be a, a season, a period of time that if I could just have a mulligan, just a do-over, just relive any part of my life over but I'd like to have that one back. Well, these couple of messages, these couple of sermons that we're going to look at today and next week are for you because it really comes as great encouragement to us that God uses common people. And God uses common people that, that struggle and stumble and fall and have difficulty in our life. And we're going to see some things about Simon Peter's life. And so today we're looking at this issue of uncommon character. And it may seem strange and it may seem odd that we're titling this uncommon character because... He denies Christ is what we're going to, he stumbles and he falls. But what made Simon Peter have this uncommon character was this, is he always turned back to God. And he had this uncommon character in such a way that he was able to turn back to him. So just a couple of things this morning about uncommon people. If you're going to be an uncommon person, if you're going to have uncommon character in your life, because as we go through Simon Peter's life, we realize that he grows in this area. So just a couple of things this morning that we're going to look at in this sermon about uncommon people that, that uncommon people appropriate, put into their life. The first one is this, that if you're an uncommon person and you can turn to Matthew chapter 26 and that's where we'll be today. I forgot to say that, uh, but that's where we'll be this morning. But the first thing is this, is that uncommon people do. Uncommon people are willing to apply God's word to their life. I mean, uncommon people, they, they're, they're able to take the word and they're able to take God's word and begin to apply it to their life. Just a little bit of context and just a little bit of things that was happening prior to, to the moment that we're going to look at. Jesus had just had the Lord's Supper with the disciples for the very last time. And he told them things that he had been telling them for quite some time now. And he told them, tonight I'm going to be betrayed and I'm going to go to a cross and I'm going to die and I'm going to be resurrected. And all of those other things. And it, even though the disciples knew it, 
the reality set in. And so they're wondering about their future and what does their life look like. And so verse 30, the scripture says, And when they had sung a hymn, so they're ending the worship service. And they went out into the Mount of Olives. And so they're walking down through the Kidron Valley and they're walking up to the Mount of Olives. And it's just kind of desolate in that area. And, and boy, it's quiet. And the disciples are trying to process out, process out what Jesus has has told them and man but remember they just left a great worship service i mean they had jesus there in the flesh and he's the one that administered the lord's supper he's the one that gave the bread and he's the one that gave the juice and can i tell you tell you this you know what you know what makes a great worship service is when you and i are willing to apply god's word into our life it's when we realize that when we open up God's word, that God reveals himself to us. And when we're willing to apply his word to our life. And so just as we walk through this, verse 31, here's what he says. And so then Jesus said to them, so Jesus breaks the silence. I mean, it is tense. And the disciples are trying to process out what he has just said. And so he gives them a word, and he gives them a word of encouragement. He says, you will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written. So he begins quoting the Old Testament. He begins speaking truth into their life. He begins using the word to encourage them and to support them. And so he says, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will will be scattered. But after I am raised up, here's the encouragement, I will go before you to Galilee. So Jesus is trying to encourage them and he's trying to tell them that that you guys are going to struggle. And I've told you these events, I've told you they're coming and you guys are going to struggle. This is going to be a difficult time for you. He didn't tell them you will no longer be my disciples. He didn't tell them you're going to abandon the faith because there's security of the believer. But he did tell them you're going to have a lapse of faith. You're going to have, I'm telling you, you're going to go through a very, very difficult time. But no worries because I'm going to go ahead of you. So he is encouraging them. And so Simon Peter has one of those what was I thinking moments. And so Simon Peter, being the extrovert that he is, he spoke up. And so verse 33, so Peter answered him and said, and so being an extrovert, there were probably some hand motions involved. And so Simon Peter says, hey, Jesus, I just need to tell you. I mean, you see the spiritual arrogance, you know, the person that feels like they're spiritually above everybody else. And Simon Peter was that way this night. And so Simon Peter points to all the other disciples and he says, hey, even though they fall away from you, even though they're going to be scattered, I, I'll never. Listen, let me tell you something. Whenever you use that word never, you're in trouble. Never, never, never say never. A lot of us are living in places we said we would never live. Right? A lot of us are doing some things we said we would never do. And I mean that in a positive way. Never, never. I'm, now I'm saying it. But never say never. He says, I will never. And I will never fall. Remember me, I'm the guy. That when you said, who do you say I am? I'm the only one that got it right. These guys, they're not as spiritually mature as I am. I'm above them. I got it right. I said, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. Remember what you said after that? Remember the storm? I'm the only one that got out of the boat. I mean, I walked on water. 
I'm just at another level. Even if all these guys, even if they all fall away from you, I never will. Listen, you know what he was saying? Your word doesn't apply to me. What you just said, that applies to everyone else. I mean, we do it today, right? I mean, it's, it's really dangerous whenever we, we look at Scripture and we place ourselves over the characters or we place ourselves, in this case, over the disciples. And we look at that and we say, how could he do that? How could he say that? I would never say that. I would Listen, we're, every one of us are capable of things we're not even aware of because we're fallen because of the flesh. And it's very dangerous when we look at Scripture and we say we put ourselves over them like we're spiritually more mature than they and we would handle it totally different. And we say, you know what? I would never, do, I would never act like I cannot. What is more powerful is when we look at Scripture and we put, put, place ourselves in the story and say, how would I react? How would I t- handle that situation? What if I was... But, but what he's saying is, is, your word doesn't apply to me and we do that today. See, what Jesus is trying to get the disciples, what Jesus is going to try to get Simon Peter to understand, it's just so critical for us to grab this morning. Your faithfulness today does not guarantee your faithfulness tomorrow. Just because someone's faithful today, that's why it's a Christian walk. That's why it's a daily walk. That's, that's why his word is so important. Listen, I'm telling you, just because someone is faithful today does not mean they're going to be faithful tomorrow. Listen, a prideful person will approach Scripture, and a prideful person, an arrogant person will say, that does not apply to me. I mean, a prideful person will say, oh man, that was a great sermon. Jesus, that was a great sermon. Those were some great points. That was a great illustration. I loved how you illustrated that. Uh, I loved how you ended the whole deal, you know, with the hymn, and that's a great hymn, one of my favorites. But I just got to tell you, I'm glad the disciples were here to hear that. We do it today, right? Right? Like, oh man, I hope my wife's listening. I hope my husband is not asleep. I mean, I hope he gets this. I hope my kids hear this. I hope that person that I don't like gets this. You know what? I hope that person that was really mean to me, I hope they hear this and I hope they feel bad. If we're not careful, we do that, right? If we're not careful, see what makes a great service is when we are willing to take his word and to apply it to our life, our situations, our relationships. A spiritually deceived person can come into community with other believers and say, you know what? I'm way above anybody in this room. And that word was for them and not for me. That was Simon Peter. Spiritually deceived. Verse 34, so, now watch this. And so you see how so spiritually deceived and arrogant Simon Peter is that he misses the connection that Jesus is trying to make. It's just so important. Watch this, verse 34. So now Jesus says to him, so he calls him out. I mean, Jesus wants him to understand. It's like, it's like you having a conversation with someone after a service, and they're saying, hey, that applied to everyone else. You go, oh, wait a minute. Here's what you need to pay attention to. So anyway, so Jesus said to him, truly, truly, I tell you this very night before the rooster crows, no longer the word all, you. Simon Peter, my word applies to you. It applies to everyone. You. No longer an ap- a lapse of faith. No longer just struggling. Simon Peter, 
you will deny me. And not once. You're going to deny me three times. My word is for you. See, God, God des- desires to speak to every one of us through his word. And God desires in a worship service, God desires in your time of opening up his word, that you wouldn't apply it to every... See, that's, I'm just telling you, that's the danger of my profession. That's why so many pastors fall. Is because they look at Scripture and how it applies to their congregation rather than first how it applies to them. And so he goes on and he says, so Simon Peter misses the connection. He misses that he's not saying all but you. So Simon Peter said to him, he wasn't going to give up. Even if I must die with you, I, I will not deny you. And the disciples, peer pressure and all that other thing, they kind of joined in and said, yeah, that's us too. We, we wouldn't deny you either. And it's no longer just Simon Peter. So in a, in a matter of moments, they left the Mount of Olives and they began going down the Kidron Valley and they started going to the Garden of Gethsemane. And, and little, some little history about the Garden of Gethsemane. Garden of Gethsemane, Gethsemane means olive press. And so it's, it's where they, they, they made olive oil. And so the, the growers would take their olives and it was... Uh, it was, it was um, a production area, and so, in fact, as you can still see it there today, I've, I've been there, and, and they got two big stones, and so the growers would take their olives, and then they would take it, and they would, they would press, and I mean, it's just unbelievable how much oil they can actually get out of an olive, because, and they would take it, they would just slowly grind it, and slowly press it, and get everything out of that olive, and it wasn't open at night. It was only open in the daytime, and so Jesus knew that he could take his disciples there because he didn't own a house, he didn't own any buildings, he didn't own anything. And so he knew he could take his disciples there and go to the garden that surrounds that, just a beautiful area um, that I have pictures of, of many people from our church praying in when we went there and all other sorts of things. And so it's just a place of just great solitude. But let me tell you something. The, the, the Garden of Gethsemane, it's an olive press. And we all go through a Garden of Gethsemane moment when we just get pressed. See, when we get pressed, it reveals our character. It reveals what's really in us, right? And so anyway, so he goes and he gets there. And so then he says to them when they get in the garden, he says, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. So this is probably the most emotion that Jesus has expressed verbally. Uh, Verse 39, we'll continue reading. So going a little farther. Jesus fell on his face and prayed, saying, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples, and he found them sleeping. And so remember, Jesus asked them to watch and pray with him. So isn't it interesting? He went to the one that said he was more spiritually mature than the others. See, it isn't interesting sometimes when people are prideful, sometimes when people are spiritually deceived. They don't practice what they say and he goes directly to Simon Peter reaching out to him one more time the one that said I will die with you now can't even pray with him and so he says and he said to Peter so could you not watch with me one hour watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation Simon I've already told you you're going to have great temptation you're going to deny me you better pray but Simon Peter kept saying that is not for me 
The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is, man, the flesh is weak. There's something powerful about corporate prayer. And so we can look at this and say, you know what? I cannot believe they fell asleep. Remember, it's dangerous to put ourselves over the characters in a story. It's dangerous to put ourselves over the disciples rather than put ourselves in the story with them. They've just been given terrible news. Luke tells us they had great stress and they had great frustration. And they were exhausted and they were tired. They'd just eaten a big meal. And they were struggling just to... Have you ever struggled to pray? Am I, the, like, am I like the only one in this room? Don't, don't, don't leave me here hanging. Am I, the, am I the only one that struggles to pray? Absolutely. I never will forget in our last church, we were in Houston, Texas. The church was exploding much like here. And we were trying to figure out what to do, buildings and growth and how to assimilate the growth and the whole deal. And we developed something out of the Old Testament was Watchmen on the Wall. To where we got four people that were praying for our church every hour, 24 hours a day. And we did this for six months, asking God to protect our church and asking God to reveal his will to our church or where we should head. And so you could sign up for a time, and so it took, it took four people every hour, so that's a lot of people, right? And for six months, and so my time slot was from three in the morning to four in the morning, because that was all the, I mean, the good times were like going fast. And so by the time I got there, it was only three to four in the morning, and so we'd have the person that finished praying, so my friend Rocky would call me, he prayed from two to three in the morning, and he would call me at three and said, you're up. And then I'd pray for an hour for our church. And then I'd call the next person and wake them up. Or if they were already awake and say, you're up. And it was just accountability, that whole deal. I never, it, God used that period of my life to grow me greatly in the area of prayer. I mean, try it. Just try praying for 15 minutes sometime. I mean, when you first start, it's, it seems like eternity. Until you start learning some things about prayer and opening the word and allowing God to speak to you. And, but Jesus was the only one that prayed. And maybe that's the reason he kept his composure of the events that was going to take place that night. And so the disciples fall asleep like three different times. And Jesus comes back to them the last time. And he heard Judas and, and the soldiers coming. And, and uh, he had already told Judas, well, just pick up the story, verse 50. So Jesus said uh, to Judas, friend, do what you came to do. Then they came up and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. And behold, one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand uh, and, and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Now, now Matthew doesn't call Simon Peter out. He just says, hey, one of the disciples did it. If you read John's gospel, we know it was Simon Peter. John calls Simon Peter out and says, hey, it was Simon Peter that cut the guy's ear off. Now, we don't know if Simon Peter was just really good with a sword and he was aiming for an ear, or he was bad with a sword and he was aiming for the throat and got the ear. We do not know. But we do know this, that he whacks the guy's ear off. He was the one. Remember, maybe, maybe he thought he was fulfilling the statement. Even if I have to die with you, now I'm going to die with you. Maybe that's what he was doing. But you know, if he was really serious, Simon Peter could have said, if you arrest him, arrest me. If you kill him, you kill me. Instead of Jesus dying on a cross between two disciples, Jesus died on a cross between two thieves. They all scattered. And Simon Peter was the one that said, if I have to die with you, I'm going to die with you. I will never... Listen, let me tell you something. 
the olive press of your life, when the pressure comes, when the stress comes in an individual's life, it reveals what's really in their heart. My granddad used to always say, if you want to really know what's in a man's heart, watch him work on a lawnmower. (laughs) There's something, right? I mean, there's something about crisis. There's something about stress. Listen, I'm telling you, uncommon people, they're willing to apply God's word to their life. They're not trying to apply it to everybody else's life. They're willing to take his word and just apply it to their life, apply it to their marriage, apply it to their relationships, apply it to their professions, apply it to their situations. Here's something else about uncommon people. Uncommon people are willing to maintain accountability in their life. In other words, uncommon people are are willing to come into community with other believers. That's how God designed the church. He never designed the church so that we would worship as strangers and not know one another and not encourage one another and pray for one another and accept one another and bear one another's, another's burdens as if they were our own. He never designed it that way. Uncommon people understand about this issue of accountability. They understand of this issue of building relationships. Verse 58 And Peter was what? And Simon Peter was following at a distance. Now, he was the guy that once was following so close. He was the one at one time that his priorities was Christ. His priorities was the church. And be very, very careful when you start following him at a distance that he no longer is the priority in your life that he once was. So Simon Peter is following him at a distance as as far as the courtyard of the high priest and going inside, he sat with the guards to to see the end and he's following him at a distance and he no longer has accountability with the, with the other disciples because they had scattered and he's in the courtyard and he's just trying to get some information and that place seems so innocent I mean it was just a courtyard and it was just a fire what could be the harm in that Verse 69, now Simon Peter was sitting outside the courtyard and a, a servant girl, and we don't have time to, to understand the culture there and the cultural meaning of that, but if you were a Jew, you got that, you understood that. When he said a servant girl, basically what he was saying, it, it was someone that had no power to hurt Simon Peter. Culturally, she was a servant. She wasn't someone even in authority. And he cowers to her. So a servant came up to him and said, You also were with Jesus the Galilean, and, and here he goes. But he denied it. Before them all, so there were other people around. And he says, You know what? I, I don't know what you mean. It's like when you ask your kids something, Where have you been? And they're like, What? I don't know what you're talking about. But let's don't be too hard on Simon Peter. Where are the other disciples? Scriptures tell us only John and Simon Peter were even following at a distance. Simon Peter was on the outside in the courtyard around a fire. You know where John was? John had a really good friend, a relative that was a guard. And so John was inside watching the whole thing go down and getting information. Simon Peter, because he didn't have that relationship, he's on the outside in the courtyard and he's trying to get information as to what's going on. But Simon Peter is separated from Christ. He's separated from the other disciples. And he no longer has accountability in his life. And so Simon Peter is now in the courtyard. And guess what? He's just trying to fit in. Listen, let me tell you something. 
whenever we're just trying to fit in with the world, it always leads to consequences. It always leads to problems. And so now Simon Peter is outside and he's just trying to fit in with everyone else and he's trying to get information. He's exhausted and he's, and he's tired. And, and he decides to lie. And I'm telling you, the only common thread in every sin is, is a sin of the tongue, which is to lie. See, the first lie is always the hardest. And the more you lie, the easier it gets. Because you just kind of get numb to it. It's just, it's just a way, of, just a way of, of living. It's just a way of doing things. And isn't it crazy when some people lie when there wasn't even a, a need to lie? And they ended up dealing with consequences. I, here a while back, I was reading a story in Reader's Digest about a businessman, and they had just signed a huge project at their, at their company. And so they had one of those company parties, and there was alcohol involved, and it was in the afternoon. And, and so uh, his secretary uh, ended up drinking too much. She was young. She was a college girl, lived in an apartment. And so he got concerned about her, and he didn't want her to have to drive home alone. So he volunteered. He says, I'll drive her home. And, you know, it was, and it was an innocent deal. He drove her home, took her to the apartment, dropped her off in, in the parking lot, started driving home to pick up his wife because him and his wife were going out for a nice dinner to celebrate the signing of the, of the contract. Well, on the way to pick up his wife, he started getting nervous. What, what if my wife gets upset? What if she gets jealous? What if she doesn't believe me? So he gets nervous. He picks her up. Uh, they head out to a really nice restaurant. And there, there's several blocks from the restaurant, and he looks down in the floorboard of the car, kind of underneath the seat, he sees a woman's high heel shoe that he did not recognize. So he made a decision. He slowly rolled down his windows there visiting. He distracted his wife. She looked out the side window. He reached down, grabbed the shoe, and pitched it out the window. As they're pulling into the restaurant parking lot, he knows his wife is getting agitated and she's starting to squirm and look for something. So she looks over at him and says, hey, have you seen my shoe? I bought a brand new pair of shoes for tonight. They were hurting my feet. I took one of them off. Have you seen my shoe? The truth would have been much better, right? You th- now, listen, do you think she's going to believe him now? Not a chance. I'm telling you. When there's a lie, there has to be a cover-up. Listen, I'm telling you. Uncommon people understand this issue, this importance of maintaining accountability. Sometimes other organizations understand this better than the local church. Other organizations know if you're going to break an addiction, you've got to have accountability. You've got to meet weekly with a group of people that you build relationships with, that you know, that you encourage each other, and that you know you're going to have to look them in the face the next week, and you build that a relationship. Man, experts tell us this. The best way to lose weight is accountability to where you come into community with other people dealing with some of the same issues you're dealing with and you meet together weekly. Why? To provide encouragement and support. Other organizations, under, I'm telling you, our armed forces understand this. Um, uh, 
Nonprofits understand this, and some to a better extent than the local church because we have a lot of people that say, you know what, I don't need that in my life. I don't need to come into community with other believers and get to know them and build relationships and encourage them. Listen, uncommon people understand this issue and the importance of applying God's word into their life and building community. That's why we have life groups. That's why we have other ministries here. It's because of this issue. Verse 71, and so when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him and said to the bystanders, this man was with Jesus, so now she really calls him out. And again, he denied it in an oath and said, I don't know the man. So he's having to say the consistent story, right? I don't know him. I don't know him. I don't know him. Listen, when you lie, it forces you into a cover-up. In verse 73, and so after a little while, the bystander came up and said to Simon Peter, certainly you two are one of them. For your accent betrays you. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and swear, so he starts cussing. I mean, Simon Peter is now having a meltdown. Why? Because he's getting exposed. The cover-up is not like working. I mean, he is getting called out. I don't know the man. And immediately, I mean, isn't Christ so loving that he provided a warning signal to Simon Peter, and to us. Remember he told him that before the rooster crows? And Simon Peter hears the rooster crow. And all of a sudden he remembered that worship service. All of a sudden he remembered I was the guy that said that word doesn't apply to me. I'm bulletproof. I can live life however I want. And it hits him. And he remembered the saying of Jesus that said, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And and he'd been with Christ for three years. Why was he so bold in the garden and now he's so insecure in the courtyard? You know why I think it is? And... This is probably another sermon for another day, but just let me just drop this and we'll move on. When we're in the presence of God, there's a difference. And when Simon Peter was in the presence of God in that worship service, he said, I will never deny you. Never. And what happens a lot of times in our lives that we don't realize we're always in the presence of God. And we steward the presence. You don't leave God here in this room. Man, we are always in the presence of God. How we act, how we live, regardless of where we are. And when a believer gets that, understands that, they live an uncommon life. Because they realize they're stewarding the presence of God. See, the rooster crow reminded Simon Peter of his, his commitment. Here's the crazy deal. When you, when you piece this story together with all the other gospels, you realize it was at the second rooster crow that Simon Peter denied him. Jesus warned him. 
See, we must never place ourselves over the disciples. We must place ourselves in the story. And by doing that, we acknowledge that, listen, every one of us in this room, even if it offends you, every one of us in this room are capable of doing things that we said we would never do. That's why applying his word to our life is so critical. That's why accountability is so critical in building relationships, and it's really deeper than accountability. Accountability is good, but it's also allowing people to speak into your life to make changes if necessary. I mean, listen, I'm afraid all of us in this room at one time or another may have ignored the crow of the rooster. Well, there was a phone call from a friend. Listen, I'm just really concerned. If you head down that road, if you continue down that road, I need to let you know the bridge is out. And there's consequences. Where it's a phone call of a friend. Where it's someone speaking into your life and saying, I'm just so concerned about whether it's a sermon. To where you're much like Simon Peter and you'll say, you know what? That doesn't apply to me. That applies to like everybody else but doesn't apply to me. I'm bulletproof. I, I can live my life the way that I want. Whether it's a worship song, whether it's a tug at your heart. That's why it's so important for us to stay accountable in life. And be careful the places that you go and allow people to hold you accountable in your life. I mean, Simon Peter went to a place that seemed very, very innocent. And he denied him. This story reminds us that even though we fall and even though we have regrets, God desires to redeem us. And God can use common people with common struggles, regrets, and hurts, and pains, and failures in their life. Next week, we're going to look at how Christ reinstated Peter and the change that came in Simon Peter's life. When he got it, and he accepted the love and the forgiveness of Christ for his for his greatest regret. I've told you for a few years I've been trying to learn to play golf and uh, don't really know why, but just felt like that was the thing to do. And, and I learned this in, in golf, and it was just amazing to me um, that, that someone was watching my golf swing or the lack thereof, and, and they told me, they said, you know, you know the most important part of a golf swing is? It's the follow-through. I thought it was taking the club back. I thought it was swinging the club. But they explained to me and they taught me the most important thing of golf, the golf swing, is the follow through. And how you follow through, because naturally you just want to stop after you hit the ball. But it's the follow through. Can I tell you this? The most important part of the Christian life is your follow through. God doesn't desire lip service, He desires surrender. He desires a people group that will simply take his word and says that applies to me and then will follow through and apply his word into their situations. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? Let me ask you, what is God saying to you as a result of this message? What is God speaking into your life? Because we believe here at Fellowship of the Rockies that God desires to speak to every one of us directly out of his word. What has God revealed to you this morning?
For some of you, you may need to accept him and ask him to come into your life and forgive you of your sins. For other you, of you, you may know him. And you may, for the very first time, say, you know what, that word applies to me. And I need to appropriate his word in my life. And there's some changes that I need to make as a result of that. It may be I just need to maintain accountability. I need to get in a life group. I need to get with a small group of believers and start doing life together. We got a life group here in our church, and the men took this seriously. And every morning they text each other with their life journaling verse and encourage one another. They hold each other accountable to live their lives and to lead their families in a God-honoring way. Maybe you're here this morning and you just need prayer. You already know who you are. The fact is, every one of us needs prayer. You shouldn't be embarrassed by that at all. I need prayer and you need prayer. If you need prayer this morning, we want to pray for you. Just a few minutes after I pray and we stand, we're going to invite you. If you need prayer for any area of your life, it's a physical issue, a financial issue, whether it's an issue related to a career, job, children, whatever, we want to pray for you and we want to encourage you. Allow us to add our faith to your faith. If you're walking through something this morning, listen, let me tell you, you don't have to walk alone. 